Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. blame Douglas for that. <laughs> Jim Douglas purposely put that on mute. He would do that. I did notice one thing. I, he did take a trip on the week I have to preach. That was, he got as many people to go with him as he could. Hey, let's get out of town. But it's, it's good to be, be able to fill in for Terry this morning. I appreciate that. I appreciate all he does. And I know he's in a different time zone. And you have permission, my permission, to fall asleep if you have to this morning. I may have done that once or twice to you. <laughs> Maybe once or twice. I, yeah, it's not, it's not easy to do in this church. But in a big church, you can do it. But it's, it's a little harder to do here. But uh, appreciate that. Now, I've got to tell you, Faith, holes in the floor and hoses, that's what we do in a garage. All right, so you tell them to get civilized. That's just not right. That's just... That's the garage floor right there. Well, I, I, Pastor said this morning that it's the little things in life that we, uh, we enjoy, and it's also the little things in life that we get humor out of. And I wondered this morning, I was a little bit apprehensive, and then something happened to me that was funny to me. It may not be funny to you, but Pastor got talking to me this morning, and he said to me, what are you preaching on? I said, uh, we're going to go to Ecclesiastes. And he said, he said, what chapter? And I said, the whole book. <laughs> And for a second, he had that deer in the headlight look, because I know he would never approach a subject that way, but we're going to actually cover the whole book of Ecclesiastes this morning. But we're going we're gonna to gonna pick the theme of Ecclesiastes. We're not going to actually read every single word of the book. But that's where we're headed this morning, and the reason we're going to do that is because I'm going to talk about expert advice. Because when we need advice in life, we, uh, we really do want to turn to the experts. We don't want to hear novice advice. If, we, if I want my teeth straightened, I don't go to somebody that never did it before. I go to Mark Minium. Somebody that knows what they're doing. We do that all the time in life. And if we need a car fixed, one thing I miss about my father-in-law is that this guy was a master mechanic. And when I needed to fix my car, all I had to do with him was to describe what it sounded like. And I knew that he was going to be able to tell me, well, here's probably what's wrong with it. And he would describe that. And I missed that. Bouncing that off of him, he was an expert. And then he would always say this. I'll never forget. He'd say, and don't worry, it'll get worse. And then you'll know what it is. <laughs> And he was, so, he was so right. So right now I got antifreeze leaking out of my one Jeep, and I don't know exactly where it's coming from, but if I know if I let it go, I'll know what it is, eventually. <laughs> That's what it was. Well, we do go for expert advice, especially in the medical field. We don't want doctors that never worked on somebody before. We want somebody that knows what they're doing. And that's, this morning we're going to read from a book that was written by an expert, and he was an expert in his field. He was an expert in the field of observing life, and he had some unique opportunities to be able to do that, and we're going to listen to him this morning, what he has to tell us about life. And i got to tell you, this is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. Some of you like to go to Psalms and Proverbs, and that's, they're great books. But this is a book to me that really speaks to our day and age, and speaks to me where I'm at. And, and this book is written in a brilliant style. But if you're not careful, you'll miss some things in this book. If, at first glance, you can look at this book and read it, and somehow think that he's some kind of fatalist, and that we need to go lay our head on the railroad tracks. That is not the theme of this book. He's written it in a brilliant style, and if you think that, then you're missing what he's trying to tell you. And all through this book, he weaves some stuff through here we're going to study. But uh, he's our expert this morning that's going to talk to us about life and about how we need to view life. Now, just for review, some of you, I know most of you know everything about Solomon, but there's some people here that don't know Solomon. Solomon was the third king of Israel. He was the son of David, and he was the one that God was going to use to build the temple and actually probably be the highlight of the, the kingdom of Israel during Solomon's reign. Some great, incredible things happened during Solomon's reign. And God appears to him in a dream one night, and God says, just ask for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And we all know that he prays for wisdom, because he didn't feel like he was qualified to lead an entire nation. So he prays for wisdom. That prayer, or that request... That pleased God immensely, and God said, not only will I give you wisdom, I'll give you the things you didn't ask for, and I'll give you fame, 
I'll give you honor, and if you obey my commands, I'll give you long life. So that's the lead-in to this book of Ecclesiastes, the kind of wisdom that Solomon had. The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived or ever would live, that God gave him unique understanding. And that's an incredible resume right there, that God would give you more wisdom than any other human being would ever have. And that's who wrote this book. So don't ever think when you read this book that somehow he's got something messed up. Trust me, he's got nothing messed up. He's got it perfectly down. He understands life better than we ever could imagine. But he's going to start off right away in chapter 1, and that's a good place to start a book in chapter 1. And he's going to get his theme set right out of the beginning. So we're going to read together. Well, I'll read. You listen. Ecclesiastes 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, that's about all the time I have to fill right there, so I guess we'll just... Well, we'll keep going. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Well, Solomon starts off right away telling us everything around us is meaningless. And that means that's not worthless, but it's futile. The idea is futility, that it's not long-lasting. It won't long endure. But he's going to give us a key right here in verse 3 that's very important for us. And this is the key to the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And he gives us right away in verse 3. And that is the term, under the sun. Under the sun. That's the key to unlock this book. And that term's going to appear in this book 29 times. 29 he talks, t- times he tells us about under the sun. And that means the context is the things on earth right now as they appear to us right now. Under the sun, in this earth, as we look around the earth on this particular moment, that's what he's talking about, under the sun. The term chasing the wind is going to appear nine times. And that also is a picture of futility, chasing the wind. If you ever tried to do that, it's not, it's not a very good activity to accomplish, chasing the wind. Also in this first 11 verses, he mentions the cycles of weather and climate and seasons. They go on and on and on. It seems like it never ends. To Solomon, it appeared never-ending. If you look real close, though, in, in this... Uh, just to give you an idea how brilliant this man was. He says, All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. He had the whole process of evaporation, saturation, precipitation. He had that figured out. Without a science book, without textbooks, without a college degree, he understood climates, he understood rainfall, he understood so many things. It's amazing. But Solomon, through this book, is now going to endeavor to discover some things. He's going to try everything that he can to squeeze some meaning out of this life under the sun. And Solomon's going to go through several categories in his personal life. We're going to start off with the first one, which is wisdom. Solomon's going to try to squeeze some wisdom. So I'm going to read verses 12 to 18 in chapter 1. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. Solomon spent the best part of his life studying and learning. He had such advantages as a king. First of all, he had peace. Most kings are so busy trying to defend their kingdom 
and to ward off enemies. Solomon didn't have any of that. So he's got incredible time to spend studying, learning more. He had, it tells us in 1 Kings that he actually had animals brought in so he could study them. All kinds of animals and apes and baboons. And not only would he study them, he would understand them. You and I could stare at a gorilla all day long and not really understand what we're looking at, except, oh, he's big and he's furry. But Solomon understood stuff, and he, he was able to figure it all out. And people would come from all over to hear what he had to say. He had incredible insight, uh, more than anyone else. People would travel from all over the world to come listen to him explain things. He had incredible fame, incredible wealth. He also had incredible wisdom. It tells us in the Bible that he wrote over 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs. I'm not sure if the songs are ever recorded anywhere, but he wrote 1,000 songs. But he realized one thing. Increased studying also learned leads to increased awareness of what we don't know. And if you've ever studied a subject, this is one right here, I'll tell you right now. You study this Bible more and more and more, and what you learn is you can never come to the depths of who God is. The more we study about this book, the more I learn from this book, the more I realize what I don't know. There's things about God I cannot explain. I have a great class back there. We have a wonderful class. This is probably the finest group of young people I ever had a chance to teach back there. And I promised I wouldn't say their names, so I'm not going to say Camille Piquadio <laughs> or Josh Nestor. I won't even say their names. But some of the finest, and they ask some incredible questions back there. And there's some times, it's really frustrating as a teacher, they'll ask a question so deep back there, they do, that you would be surprised the questions I get. And I have to stop and say, I don't know. I don't know how God could forsake God on the cross. I don't know how God can be three parts but be one, and I, I can't explain that. How can God will everyone to be saved but yet not choose everyone? These are things, the more you get into this book, you will not understand completely. I tell you, you can't. And that's, that's where we are in life. And you, if you study a subject long enough, I know everybody that studies science or whatever field you're in, it's frustrating to find the things that you don't know. And that's one of the things that frustrated Solomon as he grew in wisdom he realized all of the things that he couldn't figure out, which bothered him. But what's his observation of this whole subject of wisdom? We'll go down to chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. Solomon realized that with all of his wisdom and all his hard work and all his study, that his life will end just like the person that just stares into the TV and watches reality TV on VH1 or MTV. It's the same outcome for both. No matter how much study you put into it, we both will pass away. And he mentions about passing away not remembered. You know, you're only going to, in this earth, under the sun, your memory will probably last, what, to your grandkids, maybe? Do you think your great-grandkids will think about you much? If you're lucky, you'll make it that far. Great-great-grandkids? No, you'll never make it that I did know my great-grandparents, barely, when they were ancient. And to me, they just sat there and stared at you. <laughs> because they were so... I didn't really know them, because they were so old that I missed out on getting to know who they really were. But you will, not, you will not make it. Your memory on this earth under the sun will not go much past your grandkids. Maybe you accomplish some great thing that somebody remembers barely, but not likely. Not likely. And Solomon says that's what he came to realize under the sun. He tried everything he could to squeeze some meaning out of all his incredible wisdom. Well, Solomon also tried pleasure. And if we go to chapter 2, verses 1 and 3... We're going to hear how he tried pleasure. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. That's partying. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. Down to verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I'll read that again. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure, 
My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Solomon allowed himself any pleasure that was desirable in his search for true meaning in life. Every pleasure. Wow. We could spend all day talking about things we've tried when we were younger or foolish. Or, but we know that pleasure is something that seems like it's going to provide what we're looking for, but when we get there, it's not quite what we wanted. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and I'm not even going to touch that one. <laughs> but you get the picture of where he was. Why would a man do that? Don't need to answer that. 700 wives, 300 unofficial wives. Well, what observation did he find from that? He found that laughter and pleasure is short-lived and in the end accomplishes nothing. Now, I can prove that. Think of the most fun you ever had, wherever it was. Think of it right now. Keep it clean. You're in church. All right? Try to hold on to it. You got it? It's gone, isn't it? You, it, you had it for a while there, while you're, but now it's gone. It's really meaningless. It happens all the time I go on vacation. We, get, we go to Outer Banks once in a while, and uh, I love going to Outer Banks. I just love it. We, I just, my plan for vacation is to do nothing. What are you going to do today? Nothing. That's what I do on vacation. Absolutely nothing. If we feel like going to eat, we'll go to eat, but uh, you know, I could just lay on the beach all day long and do nothing but sleep. That's my idea of a wonderful vacation. You guys want to go windsurfing and water skiing and scuba diving, you go right ahead. I'll do nothing. But you know what I found? That as much fun as I can have on vacation, guess what? I find myself Monday morning back in work, and I got 26 emails, and I got a stack of stuff on my desk this high, and I got 46 messages. Nobody did my work for me. And immediately, all of that fun is zero in the gauge. And now I've got more work than I had before, and all of that stuff that I did, and all that relaxation, it was fun for a while, but it's gone. And that's the picture of life under the sun. All the pleasures we try to squeeze out, they last for a little bit, and then they're gone. And that's what Solomon, he tried everything. Imagine trying yourself, allowing yourself any pleasure desirable, anything. Wow. Well, he tried wisdom, he tried pleasure. Solomon tried wealth and riches. Maybe he could squeeze some meaning out of wealth. That's a popular theme in America today. Chapter 2, verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I, brought, I bought male and female slaves and other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem. And I want to remind you, there were some very rich people in Jerusalem. He had more herds and flocks than anyone before him in Jerusalem. I amassed silver and gold for myself. In the treasures of kings and provinces, I acquired men and women singers, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, greater in wealth. That's what he's talking about. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. He built himself large homes. One of them was 11,250 square feet, if you follow the dimensions in the Bible. Four stories tall. Now, the average house now in America I hear is for like 4,000 square feet. You think you, his was 45,000 square feet. You need that for all the wives that you have in there. <laughs> you have to have a place. Imagine if they all tried to cook at the same time. Wow. He planted large vineyards. He constructed enormous gardens and parks. He built reservoirs. He tried to have all this wonderful stuff around him, all the beauty. Um, he, he made reservoirs and aqueducts to make it all work, to, to water it. He changed the whole water resources in Jerusalem. He changed all of that. He acquired slaves to take care of all of his work. And, and those slaves had kids, and he had more slaves, and he had thousands, probably, of slaves to take care of all of his stuff. It says in 1 Kings that, to give you an idea of what kind of wealth we're talking about, it said that silver was as common in his day as stones. So much silver flowed into the kingdom that it was almost worthless. Amazing. The Bible says that he collected, in our, in our weights, would be 25, approximately 25 tons of gold per year for 40 years. Now, at today's market, that is $1 billion a year in gold. That doesn't count silver, precious stones, all the merchandise, all the trade, all the horses and flocks, and all, that, all those animals are, are, in that day, currency. 
This man had more wealth than you can possibly dream. Bill Gates would be jealous of this man. This guy has more money than he knows what to do with. And it just keeps, all comes from God and it all flows in. He had men and women singers. What, that's his own radio station. That's what that is. He can, he can, I'm sure he scattered. He was a smart guy. He scattered them wherever he was going to go that day. So wherever he went, he could hear music. He could change the tunes. I want those people over here. When I go there, I want them to be there. He had, sing, had his own, so he could hear music anytime. That's what he tried to do. And his observation in the end of all this, look at verse 11 in chapter 2. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. At the end of it all, with all his wealth and all his stuff and everything he tried, he tried to see some meaning in it under the sun and found at the end it had none. All his possessions, accomplishments, they were meaningless. Well, Solomon looked outside of his personal life. He looks to the world around him, and maybe he can squeeze some meaning out of the world around him as he observed mankind. And we're not going to look through every one of these today, but I listed some things that he observes through this book as he looks around the world. And he saw this. He saw that the life is filled with inequities and injustices. And you know what? 3,000 years later, it still is. It's amazing when you read this book. It's almost as if God knew the stuff that would be relevant in our day. Isn't it? And if the world goes another 3,000 years, guess what? Still be relevant. It's the most amazing book. You could never write a book like this. It's relevant in any time, any culture, anywhere. It's amazing. Be in all of your Bible. Well, he saw that life is filled with inequities, and he saw the first one was that man has the same ending as the animals. There's no difference as far as the body. They all die. The sin of mankind sweeps across all of nature, and every animal dies just like man dies. We all end up in the same spot. Power is on the side of the oppressors and not the victims. You, know, you ever see that in the world around you today? You know, that's the way it is in third world countries. Those are in charge of the most powerful oppressors. Those at the bottom, they're the lowest victims. And we can be so thankful we don't have a country like that. But that's might makes right, and that's the way most of the third world operates. That's what they understand. The most powerful people are the ones who have the biggest guns. Labor and achievement often spring from envy. Now, this is a good one here. You, you, you achieve things, and you buy things, and you get things, and sometimes you don't even realize that it's because of envy. And I'll tell you a tiny little story about this. I never thought about my television set that it, you, know, you watch TV. I never thought about it being too small until I went to somebody's house to have a TV that was this big. And then when I went home, it was like, my TV's small. It's a tiny little thing. It's only... You know, 24 inches. It's funny how that works. Because then you can say, I need a bigger TV. Well, why do you need a bigger TV? Because you saw somebody else had a bigger TV, and you think you would like to have a bigger TV. And that's how a lot of our achievements operate. We don't even know that we're caught up in that. But a lot of our labor and achievement, it all comes from envy. And Solomon noticed that as he looked out across. Now, he's an expert, so don't think, that this guy, he doesn't know it. This guy studied human life. The smartest man that ever lived and said, this is what you do. He watched it. Amazing. He saw this one. This one I want you to read, but we're going to go to chapter 2. You're already in chapter 2, probably. Verse 17 and 19. And he sees this. We leave everything behind to someone else, and we're not even sure who gets it, and we're not sure what they're going to do with it. But look in chapter 2. This is a great one. Chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all my work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. And I have to tell you, I read the story about his son, Rehoboam, and he was a fool. And he, in a short few years, they will squander everything that Solomon did. And Solomon saw that. He was wise enough to see that, that the people that come behind him may be fools and waste everything that you have. And as parents, we understand that, don't we? That our kids could squander the little bit that we do have. It seems to be, you've seen it, I, I've seen it. The best one I saw was that guy over along the 114, the hall. Remember the hall's trucking? That's funny, isn't it? 
He built this elaborate thing and mansion, all this money, and it all came crashing down. He wasted all of it. And we've seen businesses where the next generation, usually the third generation, wastes everything. And it happens all the time. And that is life under the sun. And Solomon was wise enough to see that that is a trait of mankind. And it happens all of the time. He saw this. Sometimes the righteous have a short life and the wicked enjoy a long one. You ever notice that in the world around you? Sometimes good people die young. And sometimes wicked people go on and on and on and on. And if we were God, we'd say, I would never let that person live that long. But God is God. And, he see, and Solomon was wise enough to see that this happens all across the board in life. He saw this one. Time and chance happen to all men regardless of how they live. Time and chance. That's good luck, bad luck. I can prove this one too. I can guarantee you that Billy Graham and Charles Stanley have had car trouble. I guarantee you that they have had car problems. Even though they were great godly men, I guarantee you they had things go bad. I know Pastor Z has. I've heard him talk about it. That's life under the sun. It happens to everyone. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter how smart you are. That's, what, that's just one of the realities of life under the sun. Well, what did he observe from this? He learned that life is unfair and cruel and, and sometimes doesn't make any sense. And in the end, it can be meaningless under the sun. It's meaningless. He's tried. Now, he's tried everything. Solomon's tried everything. He tried, he tried wisdom. He tried pleasure. He tried wealth and prosperity. He had fame. He looked around the world around him, and what did he see? He saw that this life is meaningless, and he tried everything. He tried everything he could to squeeze some meaning of life under the sun. But if we're not careful, we'll miss it in this book. All through this book, he starts to insert, he weaves little bits of truth about God in through, all through this book. And what he's saying is, I'm painting a contrast between man and God. And he'll stick more and more and more, and as you get to the end, all of a sudden he'll come to the end. But he's... He is showing us that there is hope for us through this book. We don't want to miss that part of it. And I've been in some studies. I, <laughs> I thought of this while I was preparing this. And I've got to tell you this one, too. This is a little side note. Did you ever come to a point where you had to preach a sermon somewhere, and, and you, you got it all together, and you thought, this is what I'm going to do, and at the end, the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going to do that. Did you ever change it on you? No, it never happened to you, did it? No, it has. Not too often. Yeah, well, I was kind of bummed out, because you, you gave me like a month warning on this. Right? And I, got, I was like done with a sermon, or a, a sermon. And I thought, well, that's, I'm about done. This is great. All I got to do is type it up. And, God, and as I prayed about it, the Holy Spirit said, no. No. And I had to start from scratch really? to do this one here. Yeah. So th- somebody needed to hear this this morning. <laughs> Please. Maybe it was me. I needed to study it. But all through this book, God's weaving in things that we need to hear. And I don't know what that had to do with anything, but I just thought of it while I was standing here. Oh, I know what it was. I, th- I, I was in a study in Ecclesiastes one time at, an, at another church, and I was in a Sunday school class. And I was one of the, at the time, one of the younger guys in the class. Uh, it wasn't just guys, it was people. But <laughs> when you mix them together, man, it's people, it's not guys. But as they studied the book and as they, as they talked about it, what it was, the, the theme that they got out of it was, this is a sad, sad book. Here's a guy who lived his whole life. He had everything, and, you know, he just blew it. He got mixed up with his wives, and he got sidetracked, and it's just so sad that he wrote this book. And I was sitting there going, are you reading the same book that I'm reading? Because that's not the theme of this book. That is not what this book says. And that's what we're going to talk about now. I want you to go to... Chapter 2, you're already there probably, 24 to 25. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Solomon learned that in contrast to man, I'm sorry, God is the source of all good things. God's the source of the good things in life. And even though he's going through all these things that are not good under the sun, he sticks God in there and says, hey, but the good things, they're from God. And so is the enjoyment we find in life. Chapter 3, verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. He's setting up a big contrast there between man and God. What God does, everything God does will endure forever. It's complete and perfect. 
and he does this so men revere him. God's setting up a system in the world around us. When we look at the universe the way it is, the way he created it. We look at all kinds of things that we see. God's saying, look, see what I do? And you know how it is what you do. And he's setting this up a contrast between himself and man. I'm great, and you're not. And he does that so that we can look at him and find all of what he's done. And fear him, the proper respect that God deserves. That's what we're supposed to have. And that's why God has done. Romans tells us what? That creation, everything's evident. God is evident in creation to man. It's self-evident. Every man that denies God denies the truth that's all around him. God does this so men will revere him. That's a stark contrast to man. Chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. And Solomon learned that contentment is a gift from God. It's funny that in the midst of all these bad things that Solomon's saying, he's saying, look, but the guy, the guy that dwells on God seldom reflects on life. That's in stark contrast to what he's been telling us that all these bad things when we look around under the sun, but the man who reflects on God, on the, then he's occupied with other things and he doesn't think about his problems. He learned that contentment is a gift from God. It's all about focus. It's all about focus, and Solomon makes that clear to us. But I want you to go back to chapter 3. This is the thing I want to point out here. This is very important verses in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And that is this. God will make everything beautiful in its time. In its time. Solomon gave us a big list that the birds use in their song, Turn, Turn. All these things. The time for everything. Deb, it's okay that you know that song, by the way. You had a guilty look. Most of you have no idea who the birds are. If you're, old, if you're, if you're older than me, you know, okay? But everything is beautiful in its time. There's a time for everything, okay? God has a time. In other words, now we see that God has a purpose. These things seem meaningless, but there is a time for everything. And the problem with us is we think the time is now. You know, God, I have a problem. Fix it now. This is the time. Why aren't you answering my prayer? Why does this drag out? Why am I not having lots of things? Why my, my bill's not paid? Why am I sick? God has a time. And under the sun, this may not appear to be the right time, but God is still in charge, and God has a time. That's the key. Also, he said this. What did he say? He said, he has also set eternity in our hearts. That's important. God has set the idea of eternity in our hearts. When we look under the sun, we can get really upset and, and we look around and you see how futile it is, meaningless, chasing the wind. But eternity is set in our hearts. In other words, I could stand here all day and I could come up with science books and I could say how there's no proof of an afterlife. There is not. Nobody has ever been there and come back and proven it. Nobody's taken pictures of it. There isn't a website you can go to and look at it. I could say that there's nothing more than what's around us, and I could say that all day long, and all these great science facts, and at the end of it all, you would walk out of here and go, no, I still think there's something. And isn't it interesting that in every culture, as we look at their religion and where they're at, every world religion that I know of, that there's, they all think there's something? Why is that? Why, is it, why isn't there some religion somewhere on an island where it's just atheists? We believe in extinction. You, and why is the atheist movement not growing by leaps and bounds? Well, don't you think it would be like expanding since we get more enlightened? Because it absolutely goes against what we know in our hearts, that there is something more than what we see under the sun. There's something more, and God has set that in our hearts. There's something more than this, and we know that, and it's God that's done it. And Solomon was wise enough to see that God stuck that in mankind. And even when we can't understand our circumstances, we know that God's still in control. He still has a plan, even in the midst of all this stuff under the sun. Well, all of this evidence is going to lead our teacher to the final conclusion. And this is the best part of the book. So you want to make sure you get back to chapter 12. 
chapter 12, the conclusion of this book. Now, I believe personally, honestly, I don't know if Pastor believes this. If not, I'll forgive him. But I don't believe this book was meant to be read halfway. I don't believe you're supposed to read this book to chapter 3 or 4 and stop and say, oh, wow, that's, yeah, and put it away. I think this book was meant to be read straight through. Solomon wanted you to read this book all the way through because if you don't get to chapter 12, you're going to miss out on what he's trying to tell us. And that's, you do agree with me. You learned something today, anyway. <laughs> I did comfort myself this week. I thought, you know, it's kind of awkward. You know, I have to get up here and preach in front of the, the master preacher. And, and I did notice, too, that, that Jim Douglas never has to do that. <laughs> All right. But, but I, then I comforted myself because I thought, well, you know, if he had to come to my work Monday morning and had to go in my office, he, he wouldn't have a clue what i do. See, you, you wouldn't know how to pretend to build highways. Yeah. I told my sister that. I said, you don't have to really come. You know, I, I'm not really a preacher. I just pretend to build roads. <laughs> and I thought about expanding that because now I am pretending to build driveways also. That's what I do. I pretend, and then I thought, well, maybe I could pretend to like, remodel houses and pretend to do your taxes and stuff like that. But isn't it amazing I get paid to pretend to do stuff? I'll talk to you later about that. But chapter 12, you've had plenty of time to get there now. Verse 13, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring into, deed, into every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you get nothing out of today, get this. You are supposed to fear God and keep his commandments. You know what that is? That is faith. And good works. Faith and good works. You remember reading anything like that from the New Testament? God's theme runs straight through this book. Fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon came to that conclusion. That's what we need. Even when life doesn't make any sense. Even when everything's going wrong. Even when I get the bad news from the doctor. Even when someone betrays me or leaves me. I need to fear God and keep his commandments. I need to stay on track for what I'm supposed to do. Solomon says, look, under the sun, it doesn't make any sense. The only thing you need to do is fear God and keep his commandments all the way to the end. That's what we need to be doing. Because this, we know a day is coming. We know a day is coming when every right will be wronged. Or I'm sorry, everything wrong will be righted. Everything, <laughs> everything, yeah. Everything will be brought into where it's supposed to be. God will make everything into account. And we're going to talk about that. Last thing I'm going to make you turn to is in 2 Peter. How do I know that God, how do I know that there's hope under the sun? 2 Peter chapter 3. And if you don't want to turn there, it's fine, I'll read it for you. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is not slow in keeping his promises to you. I know it doesn't fit your timetable. I know it seems like he should have answered it three days ago. But remember this, God promised that a day will come, then under the sun will be meaningless and we will be into the true meaning under the sun, but only in his time. But that day will come. It will come, so don't lose your perspective in life. He's not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient. He's patient with mankind. He's long-suffering and patient. And that's why he tarries so long. Sometimes you think, I just wish he'd come back. Why does he not come back right away when it seems like everything's such a mess? Because he's patient not willing that any should perish. Even though we want him to come back today, just think of how many billions of people will perish in eternity in hell if he came back today. God is patient. He's, he's sometimes it seems like he's really slow, but he is not. He's on his own timetable. He's still God. He's still in charge. Always remember that. Be encouraged by that. God is in control at his own timetable. So what's the conclusion this morning? Well, 
Finding the pleasures of this life to be short-lived and, and, and really empty, that shouldn't surprise us any. We had expert advice from 3,000 years ago. Experiencing injustices and being wrong, well, you can expect that. That's just the way it is in a fallen world. You will be wronged. There is as nice as you people are, I guarantee there's somebody somewhere at work or around your neighborhood that does not like you. That's just the way it is. And once in a while, we hear about it, and it bothers us. All right? You hear that somebody doesn't like you. Do not be surprised. There's someone. I always tell the young people, and tell, I won't say your name, Camille, but I told you this one time. When you guys go out into the workplace, do not be surprised when you go into the workplace. You're young. This is your first day. There is people sitting there wanting you to fail. They want you to fail because they're threatened by you, and they just, there's just something when new people come in, we just give them a hard time. And do not be surprised if people want you to fail. In spite of that, go to work anyway. <laughs> I need the Social Security, so you go to work. <laughs> well, we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. In this life, bad things will happen to good people, and good things will happen to bad people, and I can't tell you how many times I get frustrated by that because I'll turn on the news, and I'll see some poor, crippled person in a third-world country that's barely getting by, and they're doing a story on it, and then the next story is Charlie Sheen, and it makes me want to vomit. There's good people that barely get by, and there's people that live as wicked as you can live on this earth, and they seem to flourish. It's just the way it is in a fallen world. It doesn't make sense to us, but under the sun, expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Never lose sight of the big picture, because under the sun, you can look for happiness, but you're only chasing the wind. Do not be surprised by that. Chasing the wind to find pleasure, to be long-lasting, or to meet some kind of meaning in life, it is chasing the wind. And I tell all my young people, you can try anything you want, you will not find contentment and happiness at the end of the road. You will not. Apart from God and his commandments, fearing him, you can try anything you want. You go ahead. But Solomon already warned us about it. Fear God and keep his commandments. Look, if the only thing that matters is what's under the sun, then go ahead and do whatever you want. If this is all there is in this life, then go try to squeeze some meaning out of it if you can. But because there's a day coming when God is going to make everything right, he promised it, it's coming. And there's something more than that. We know that because he put eternity in our hearts. And because of that, we know that this is not all there is. You can try to squeeze meaning out of this life if you want. We had an expert that tried that. He tried everything. He had more resources. He had more fame and wealth and good looks and, and prosperity. And he, tried. he had all these resources. And he couldn't squeeze any meaning out of life. If you want to try it, you go ahead. But he said 3,000 years ago, it's... it's it's meaningless. Chasing the wind. It is chasing the wind. And you can say, well, you know, Jerry, I was fearing God and keeping his commandments, um, but I still lost my job. I know. Just keep doing what you're doing. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Well, I was fearing God and keeping his commandments, and he wasn't, and, and he got the promotion, and I didn't. I know. That's life under the sun. Well, I was fearing God and keeping his commandments, and my wife wasn't, and now she has my house and my car and my kids, and I'm living in some dumpy apartment somewhere. I know. I know. That's life under the sun. Fear God and keep his commandments. Under the sun, it doesn't make any sense. But one day, God has promised this. There's a day coming where he'll bring everything into the daylight, and those that are faithful, he will honor and bless, and that's where we're headed. And that's why we've got to keep our focus this morning on fearing God and keeping his commandments. And I want to leave a challenge with each group here this morning. I want to start off with my students. I want to talk to each group here. Students, my kids, that I talk to every week. And this is for all young people. You guys have a chance to get this stuff right the first time. I don't. None of the adults in this room do. You guys have a chance to hit the ground running, realizing what is really meaningless and what's really meaningful. We could pass the microphone around and you would be stunned at the ways we tried to squeeze meaning out of things in this life. You would be stunned at the mistakes that we've made and are still making today. Matter of fact, that's a good idea. We should do that. Let's get a microphone, and we'll start with Roger Webb right here. <laughs> do not get this wrong. You have a chance to get this right. Fear God and keep his commandments. Single people here today, single people, do not fall for the lie of this culture that somehow if I get the right house the right car, in the right neighborhood, go to the right school, get the right spouse, do everything just right. Somehow I will have 
meaning in life, and I will live happily ever after. It is not possible. It is chasing the wind. It is a lie of this culture. It can't be done. You cannot live a life on this earth, under the sun, for pleasure and, and everything that society tells us and expect to find meaning out of it. You will not. Don't buy the law of this culture. Fear God and keep his commandments. Married folks with kids, I know how stressed out and busy you are. I know how distracted you get. You're trying to buy a house. You're trying to establish a career. You're trying to make car payments. You're trying to pay bills. You're trying to keep the kids healthy. You're running kids back and forth from soccer practice. Do not get distracted about what's meaningful in life and what's meaningless. Fear God and keep his commandments. Do not, and do not, do not fall for the lie that somehow if I just had a different spouse, things would be all right. It's chasing the wind. Fear God and keep his commandments. Empty nesters, people my age, I know all about you people. Your life's a little less complicated now. Kids have moved off. All of a sudden you realize the house is empty. Well, not for Deb. <laughs> for most of us, life's less complicated, isn't it? Probably establishing your career pretty good. Probably making more money than you ever made. Do not forget this. Your house, your car, your 401k, your swimming pool, your boat, they all fall in the category of meaningless. And under the sun, they're not worth that much. Don't kick, don't, do not do this. Do not park the car or put it in cruise control. Live for the Lord. Fear God and keep his, this should be your most productive years. You've got more time. You've got more resources than you've ever had. Use it for the good. Fear God and keep his commandments because a day is coming when we're going to stand before him and give an account. Do not stand there like I was prepared to do years ago and realize I had nothing. Fear God and keep his commandments. Don't fall for the lies of this culture. Older folks and seniors, our oldest group here, you already knew all this. You didn't even have to take notes. I mean, you've seen life. You've been all the way around the block. You've seen it all. You know that it's meaningless. You even know this. You know something that my, my gen... My, you know what guys my age talk about at work? Retirement. <laughs> if we just get to retirement, then I'll finally be able to go hang out at McDonald's with all my friends in the morning. <laughs> I don't even know what we're looking for, but we think if we get to retirement, all of a sudden, we're going to have that white elephant. You already know this, retired folks. That's not all it's cracked up to be either. And that is meaningless. I can't tell how many people I've talked to that left my company. I had one I remember. He was, he, was, he was my boss. He was my mentor. He taught me everything I know. And, and I talked to him a couple years after he retired. And he said, you know what this is? He said, I am having a tough time not being important. He went from being in charge of the whole corporation to nothing. And he realized, but we don't know yet, that that's meaningless too. He couldn't squeeze anything out of retirement any more than he could the rest of his life. But you know what? We need the older folks in this church. We need your advice. We need your counsel. There's, some, there's something wrong with churches when we say, okay, all the old people, you get in a group and you go in that corner. And all you teenagers, you go to another building over there. You, in singles, you stay way far away from the old people. And what, what is wrong with a church when... We don't plug into the advice and wisdom that's in our own group. Here's what I want you to do. Older folks, do not run off to the golf course or the retirement home. Find some, You know there's young people in this church, young couples who are going, you don't even know this, there's young couples going through things, they're hurting. They're going through things, they're facing trials, they're facing struggles in life, and they're confused. You can reach out to people and plug into them and tell them, hey, I know what you're going through. Maybe just send a card. Maybe just... Find somebody in this church, just say, I don't know them, but I'm going to try them. And keep trying that until you find the couple that you realize you can plug into. This is, let's face it, you guys, if everything goes by its natural course, you're the closest one to judgment. You have the least amount of time to get whatever you want to do for Christ, do it now. Don't, don't, don't go in cruise control. Do not do that, church. I tell this, this speaks to me. This is me. I, I struggle with this all week that I need to be that kind of a person that I fear God and keep his commandments and put the priorities first. The stuff in the life around me, I can get so distracted with things and time and pleasure and 
having fun, and those are good things, but in the end, they're all meaningless. It's people that matter. It's relationships that matter. It's what I do for God that matters. And he made it, Jesus made it so easy for us. If I, you just give a cup of water in my name, it can't get any easier than that. Make sure that we're all on the right page. We're all fearing God and keeping his commandments. We had expert advice written 3,000 years ago. He tried everything, found it to be meaningless. He's warning us, don't blow it. You know why this is important to me? I believe, I've heard a lot of people say, well, Solomon, he, he died in a sad story of him. And he did, because God comes down and speaks to him one last time and says, hey, I promised you long life if you follow my commandments. And guess what? You got so distracted with your wives and you followed false religions that I am taking the kingdom away from you. I won't take it all away, all because of David. I'll save one tribe for you, and I won't do it in your lifetime for the sake of David. And I believe that after that, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Because this guy, the author of this book, is at the end of his life. Because he describes what it's like to get old in here. He describes exactly what it's like as you get older. And I believe, as he looked back on his life, after God chastened him, he looked on his life and said, I blew it. All these things that I was chasing were meaningless. And now I see the true picture. I should have been fearing God and keeping his commandments. If the wisest man in the world can totally blow it, I think we know we can. Let's stay on the right page. Let's fear God and let's keep his commandments. Lord.